listeners. Thanks for joining us this week. Today's episode is a conversation with Dr. Jeff Ryder on the relatively new pediatric obesity guidelines. And we have a great discussion about how we can think about those guidelines, the impact on kids and families, and really what it means for promoting whole health in the kids that we work with and raise. So just a reminder before we get started, please like or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. Dr. Ryder, so happy to talk to you today. Could we just start with a quick introduction? And for us here at See Who, what that really means is if you give your name, your pronouns, um, where are you talking to us from today, what you like to do when you're not working, and then what you like to do when you are working. Uh, if I can remember all those things there. Uh, yeah, Jeff Ryder, clinical psychologist, uh, he, him, his. I've been working with See Who and working in Idaho actually for a number of years now. And mostly um, in work related to integrating behavioral health into primary care. That has a little bit to do with what we're going to be talking about today, I know. As far as uh, what I like to do when I'm not working, sometimes it seems like there's not a lot of activity happening outside of work, unfortunately. But I love the outdoors, so I um, love to get out for backpacking, skiing, biking, you know, love the water, love to travel as well. So very happy that the pandemic is now, you know, out of the no travel stage. So I've been getting into some traveling again. My day job is working with the, um, the federal government, helping them to integrate behavioral health into primary care in uh, military primary care clinics around the world. So that's what I do for my day job. And I'm based out of Washington, D.C. for that. Fantastic. Well, thank you for the work that you do. And one of the things that we've been talking a lot about uh, lately is the idea of weight management, obesity, and particularly in the context of youth and kiddos. Could you maybe just start us off with a level set on kind of the most recent news around obesity guidelines for kids and what's really happening in that space? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think pediatric obesity has been something that has been kind of a hot topic in primary care where I work with in particular for many years now. I mean, there's been an, a very significant upward trend in the number of kids who fall into what we call the overweight or, or obese category for decades now, actually, that's, that, that number's been rising. And then the pandemic, like it did for so many other problems, really amplified that as well. So we are seeing a lot more kids post-pandemic who are falling into the, you know, the overweight or the obese category. And so it's really reached a point where I think a lot of people in the public health world and the primary care world feel like it's kind of a crisis point, you know, where there's a crisis in pediatric obesity. And that led to very recently, I mean, a, a few months ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with new guidelines that encourage pediatricians to really treat pediatric ob obesity in some very different ways, uh, much more aggressive ways than they have previously. That's, I think, uh, the main context for our discussion today, because those those guidelines that the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with, they gained a lot of attention in the national media, certainly in, in, in healthcare circles, because they are, they re really represent a marked departure in terms of how obesity is 
going to be perceived and managed and treated by pediatricians uh, around the country. It's going to have profound effects for sure on us as a society. And so that's the, that's the context. I think that that just helps to kind of think about how this is impacting kids, families, and clinicians too. Could you maybe provide some examples of those guidelines? I'm thinking about, you know, ages for medications, for surgeries, for lifestyle interventions. Because to me, as somebody who's not in that world all the time, it was pretty surprising to hear the those ages and those recommendations. So could you give us a couple of examples of what's coming up in, in those newest guidelines? Well, like I say, you know, the these new guidelines from the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, are much more aggressive than what was previously recommended. And of course, that was very deliberate and very intentional, you know, as a response to, like I say, this perceived kind of crisis, right, in pediatric obesity. The previous approach that was recommended for pediatricians was to kind of take a more passive, uh, what they call a watchful waiting approach. Watchful waiting means Maybe you identified a health concern, but you, you, you have an idea that this is something that could, in many cases, will just kind of resolve on its own. So we're not going to do anything too crazy here with, you know, our interventions for this problem. We're just going to let it play out. Probably it'll get better on its own. That's a watchful waiting approach. In medicine, they use that all the time for all different kinds of things, whether it's a rash or, you know, in this case, like I say, pediatric obesity. So that was the previous ab- approach to, to obesity in kids was, you know, not to, not to push parents or kids too hard to do anything different necessarily to reverse this, this increasing weight in the child. But the new guidelines take a much, much more aggressive approach. So the new guidelines, first off, they, they recommend screening for overweight and obesity in kids as young as two. Previously, most pediatricians didn't really start screening with BMI for overweight and obesity until maybe age six or more. So it's starting much earlier, you know, is the recommendation now from the AAP to start screening for, to identify kids who fall in this overweight or obesity category. And then the interventions that they recommend if a child does fall into this overweight or obesity category are much more aggressive than they were before. So gone is that old kind of passive watchful waiting approach. And what's recommended now is if the child is six years old or older and they fall into the overweight or obesity category, they're recommended, the recommendation is for the pediatrician to try to get the the child and the family engaged in what's called intensive health behavior and lifestyle treatment. It's like a a very intensive, like a 26-hour, you know, lifestyle management course delivered by specialty, you know, uh, clinics that takes course, takes place over the course of several months or even a year. So, you know, very intensive intervention. Actually, even younger kids, kids two to five could be recommended for this too. But the recommendation is that definitely for six years old and up, they're supposed to be recommended for that. If they're 12 years old and they fall into the obesity category, then the recommendation is for pharmacotherapy, so medications for weight loss. And if they're 13 years or older and they're in the kind of a step beyond the obesity category. So it's a small percentage of kids, but the the highest weight kids, 13 and older, the recommendation there is to consider um, surgery, weight loss surgery, in addition to medication. So, So you can, like I say, you can see that from the old approach, kind of a, well, let's, you know, they'll probably grow into their weight, just, you know, don't need to do anything too radical here. They're still young, give them time to grow. That was the old 
kind of watchful waiting, passive approach. Now, much more aggressive, looking to identify overweight and obesity problems much earlier and get kids linked up with treatments that they weren't, weren't even really considered much before for them, you know, in terms of medications and weight loss surgery and this very intensive um, lifestyle change approach. Thank you so much for providing those examples. You know, again, as a non-clinical person, it, it does feel kind of aggressive, like, you know, getting younger kids on medications, potentially doing surgery. And I, it feels to me like a little bit of this tension of medical management of, you know, a medical condition, obesity or overweight, versus some of the potential risks or side effects or stigma associated with either that label or the intervention. Can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking about the balance in those two different um, kind of positions around childhood obesity? You know, you hit on a really important point here. You you recommend, or, or you, you mentioned kind of looking at this through like a um, more medical lens, right? Yeah, that, that, that's a big part of these new... AAP guidelines as well, all right? Obesity has been talked about by lots of different entities as a disease for a long time now, but that's really comes through loud and clear in these new guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics is that they're really pushing this idea that obesity is a disease. It's a persistent, chronic, complex disease. And that's kind of the... The, the, the impetus, I guess, for saying then that, well, if this is a complex chronic disease, we need to you know, intervene earlier and more aggressively than we are now, right? So there really is a medicalization for sure of, of obesity that kind of comes through in the overall tone of these guidelines. I will say that the, uh, the guidelines also do a really good job of talking about how uh, obesity is such a complex condition that has lots of aspects to it that aren't necessarily, you know, medical, right? Aren't that, that are more lifestyle oriented, that are really affected by social determinants of health, things like that. But the overall tone and push is deliberately toward viewing obesity as a, as a disease that therefore needs more aggressive, you know, intervention. And that, that is a big shift. And that's actually kind of what perked my ears up the most when I um, read these new guidelines and heard about them and so forth is that because, uh, you know, this is what people have tried to do with mental health conditions over the years to try to destigmatize mental health conditions and encourage people to be more willing to get care for mental health conditions, right, is to label mental health conditions like depression and anxiety and so forth as a disease you know, hoping that that would, like I say, destigmatize it, break down barriers for people being willing to talk about it and get, get more care. I'm not sure that's really happened, though, in the case of mental health disorders. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's actually correct to say that shifting to a disease model for mental health conditions has really broken down the stigma. There's actually evidence that, that it's increased the stigma. And, and so that's when I heard the kind of the, or, and saw kind of the push that AAP is making to use the same strategy for obesity, I understand where they're coming from. The idea is, you know, if we can talk about obesity as a disease, then uh, that maybe liberates some people to feel like they don't feel as guilty. They don't feel as much shame because a disease is something that is, you know, it's outside of your control. Maybe the healthcare community won't stigmatize it so much either, you know, and we'll 
treat people with obesity in more helpful health promoting ways than they traditionally have and so forth. So um, I understand where they're trying to go with that, but I guess my concern is, are we going to go down the same road here where, you know, it's a good idea, maybe good intentions to try to destigmatize obesity by labeling it a disease. But in the end, is that really what's going to happen? Or are we going to actually end up, you know, creating more stigma around it? I don't know. Jury is still out on that one. We'll see over time. But that is um, definitely a um, kind of a push is to put obesity more into the, the medical disease realm with these new guidelines. I guess it, it gets me thinking, you know, what what do we know about the impact of weight stigma on, you know, health outcomes and quality of life for people? Um, what what do we know about that impact? And that's another really, really important piece of this puzzle, you know, if you ask me, is um, that people really regularly talk about how obesity causes these, you know, various other comorbidities, right? So you hear v people very commonly talk about um, obesity as a cause of diabetes or a cause of hypertension or, you know, those sorts of things. And it is true, no question about it, that obesity is associated with any number of, you know, serious comorbidities, chronic medical conditions. But it's associated with those chronic medical conditions. It's never been clearly shown to be causal, right? So no one has ever really conclusively demonstrated that obesity causes diabetes or that obesity causes hypertension. It's associated with, with diabetes. It's associated with hypertension. But we speak about obesity as if it is causal of these conditions. And that's just not accurate to say that. And when I think about it with weight stigma in mind, frankly, I wonder if some of these comorbidities that we frequently see associated with obesity don't come more from the effects of weight stigma than they do from the weight, from the obesity, right? Because to your question about what kind of effects does weight stigma have, we know that there, there's a robust body of research that, that shows that uh, people who are obese uh, experience healthcare differently than the rest of us do. And they get a different quality of healthcare than the rest of us do. And they utilize healthcare differently than the rest of us do. So it's very common, for example, that uh, people with obesity, you know, when they come in with health concerns, um, they get fewer tests run, for example, than few, fewer diagnostic tests run than a quote unquote normal weight person would, right? Maybe because the, the, the provider is kind of quick to link whatever their concern is to their weight, for example. So they're getting, so, Conditions are sometimes getting missed in people that would have been caught in a normal weight person because the same diagnostic tests weren't run. People of higher weight often feel uh, like they are judged or talked down to, demeaned uh, when they come in to talk to healthcare providers. Obviously, this is not every healthcare provider. There are lots and lots of healthcare providers that are wonderful with working with patients of all kinds of weights and shapes and backgrounds and so forth. But if you look at the totality of, you know, the experience that people of higher weight have with healthcare providers, it's very, very common that they, that they have very negative experiences with healthcare providers. And that in turn then leads them to avoid using healthcare. We know that people um, with higher weights don't seek out healthcare as much. 
And so if you're not coming into the doctor as much for your physicals, for your immunizations, things like that, you know, you're more likely to get sick, right? And to have problems. We also know that if we look at people who report high levels of weight stigma, that they do have worse health. They have um, more chronic and more poorly managed chronic conditions. They have more mental health conditions. Kids, they experience bullying more. There are some real direct effects of weight stigma like those, and there are some real indirect effects of weight stigma like I was talking about with how patients experience healthcare and utilize healthcare and so forth. And all of that leads me to just kind of wonder, like, what's really going on here when we talk, when we see obesity linked to problems like diabetes and hypertension? Is it really the obesity that's causing the, the diabetes? Or maybe it's the case that, uh, that that's kind of these direct or indirect effects of weight stigma that are actually leading to the diabetes and the hypertension, right? And not the obesity itself. I don't know. I mean, uh, nobody's really answered that question, but I think it's something we really have to think about because my overall concern about these guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics is that, that what they still send as their message is that the problem here is weight, right? And I guess my question is, what if weight isn't really the problem? What if it is a problem? Like high blood pressure is a problem. High blood sugar is a problem. Okay, maybe weight is a, you know, higher weight is a problem that is associated that, or, that, or that is caused by, I should say, any number of factors related to physical activity and other lifestyle factors and so forth, in addition to all the genetic biological factors. But, you know, what if, what if weight is not the problem, but we are acting in these guidelines and elsewhere in our system like, like weight is the problem. And when that happens, my concern is we stigmatize the obesity even more, right? And so when we say that weight is the problem, then you know, that's even stigmatizing people even more and kind of perpetuating all the problems that come from the weight stigma. So it's a complicated issue, of course, but those are the things that come up for me. I so appreciate you calling that out. You know, it seems like such a big frame shift. So let me just parrot that back for a minute. It's kind of the frame shift from weight causes health conditions, negative health conditions, you're responsible for your weight. Therefore, it's, you know, your fault that you have these conditions and you you need to do something about it versus what now we're saying, you know, is let's think about that in a more nuanced way. These health conditions, these negative health outcomes can be caused by a myriad of factors and labeling it as weight, that straight line from weight to health outcomes is really not helpful because you're not getting that um, more complex picture of what's happening and you're actually potentially perpetuating those negative health outcomes in the end. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I guess I don't understand why do we have to focus on weight or obesity as the problem? Why do we have to say that we, we have a problem with weight in this country as if that is something that we know is then driving all of these other health concerns like diabetes problems, hypertension problems, so forth, because we don't know that. And it could be that the more negative attention, the more that we focus on weight, the more we talk about weight as a crisis and so forth, 
the more it, it, it potentially stigmatizes people who are of a higher weight and then leads to all those problems I was talking about with weight stigma and so forth, right? And why do we have to even do that? Why can't we just say that, you know, if kids have health problems, if they have high blood pressure, if they have diabetes, um, if they're not eating healthy, if they're not uh, engaging in healthy levels of screen time, we're going to try to intervene with those sorts of things, right? Rather than saying, oh, you have a weight problem, we need to fix the weight problem, and then all these other things will get better, right? That's the message that I feel like these guidelines are kind of sending right now, even though it is a, a long, nuanced document, the guidelines are from the AAP, and they do try to avoid stigmatizing people. But in the end, they're still saying, weight is the problem. If you can fix the weight, everything else will get better. And that, I think, runs the risk of really continuing to stigmatize people of higher weight, no matter the efforts to label it as a disease and try to take some of the responsibility off the patient and so forth. And in the end, potentially perpetuates the stigma that then maybe is actually a bigger cause of all of these other morbidities like blood pressure problems, diabetes problems, and what have you, you know? Absolutely. And so when you think about, you know, uh, somebody working in healthcare, whether it's a clinician, you know, nursing staff, um, who are trying to create that safer place for patients and still operate, you know, in evidence-based guidelines and practices, do you have some suggestions for healthcare um, staff, healthcare workers to reduce the stigma on kids and their families when they come into a, an appointment? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and that's what it boils down to in the end, right, is, well, what do we do about all this? <laughs> so, you know, we're in, we're in primary care, we're working with patients every day or wherever, you're, you know, you work out of. I think for starters, it's really important to understand just what we're talking about here that we don't know for certain that obesity is causing these other, you know, health morbidities. We do know that weight stigma is really also linked with any sort of, any number of comorbidities. Why not just have conversations with patients about health, right, at a sort of a global level, rather than focusing on weight per se, rather than focusing on, can we get that number on the scale to change? Let's kind of take the focus off of that and let's just talk about things that patients can be doing to, that, that we know are health promoting. So let's work with kids and their families on making sure that kids are getting healthy levels of physical activity. Kids ages six to 17 should be getting at least an hour a day of, of, of vigorous activity. Kids younger than that, like three to five, should be getting three hours a day of play activity. Let's, let's make sure that kids are not spending excessive amounts of time on screens, right? So two hours a day is the recommended maximum screen time. I recognize that there are some challenges with that <laughs> for lots of reasons, but still just kind of keep it in mind. Let's minimize screen time. Um, let's work with families and, and kids on how to have the healthiest food options for them, right? And help them to understand how to shop in, in ways, grocery shop in ways that are likely to yield the most healthy outcomes for them. And so, so in other words, you know, let's, work with kids and their families on how to be more healthy without emphasizing is the number on the scale going down or going up, right? That's where I think we need to have our focus. And then as part of those discussions and to enable that too, I think we have to make sure that we're not inadvertently contributing to the weight stigma as well, right? So Doing things like if you have pictures in the clinic of people, making sure that the people in the photos are 
of different sizes, right? If you're showing photos of people enjoying their lives, you know, show people of, of bigger sizes enjoying their lives. Make sure that every exam room in the clinic has a chair that is uh, big enough for a bigger kid or a bigger parent to, to sit in comfortably uh, rather than kind of the typical narrow, skinny chairs. When we talk with kids and families, use more inclusive, less stigmatizing language, like talk about maybe people of higher weight instead of obese people, for example, right? Talk about making healthier choices instead of talking about like, you know, got to have good discipline and good self-control, right? Humor is something that is used in healthcare. Healthcare is a stressful place to work, and it's not uncommon that people use humor after a patient visit. If something was funny in a patient visit and they joke about it with the nurse or with, with, with other people on the team after the visit. I mean, not very rarely do you ever see it in a demeaning you know, way in clinics, but, but, but funny things happen when you're, you know, working in healthcare and, and, and it's normal, of course, to use humor to blow off steam, but make sure that your humor isn't coming at the expense of people of higher weights, you, you know, making jokes about a person's weight or how they look, right? So setting a good tone in the clinic for how people with higher weights are talked about and perceived. So I think all of this goes into it, right? You know, creating a welcoming environment where people of higher weights feel like they can come in and they can they can trust that they're going to be treated fairly and not judged and respected and they're going to get the same health care as everyone else. So, so important uh, to set that tone. And then part of that too is, you know, when you are, if you're the clinician, when you are in with the patient, maybe taking the focus off the number on the scale and just focusing instead on nudging people, supporting people towards making these lifestyle changes that we know are so healthy and important for them to be making. It doesn't mean that I'm saying disregard the AAP guidelines. I'm not a pediatrician, it, you know, uh, far be it for me to tell pediatricians how to practice. Or I'm, I'm not saying you should disregard the recommendations of the um, the guideline, but I also think you can do both things. You know, you can, you can follow the recommendations in the guideline and you can also talk about weight in a non-stigmatizing way and, and try as much as possible to emphasize these healthy lifestyle changes rather than focusing on the number on the scale and so forth. So taking it out of the clinic and into the community, if you're a parent, caregiver, teacher who is concerned about a kid with a higher weight, what are things that you can do to support that child and minimize that stigma or bias that that child's feeling? Well, I think it's a lot of the same things that we were just talking about, you know, we could do in the clinic, right? Because a lot of these things that I was talking about in the clinic play out in society every day as well in comments that that kids hear from other kids comments that they hear from teachers comments that they hear from parents uh, you know about weight whether it's about themselves and their weight or whether it's about other kids you know and and their weight so uh, we all have biases right it's important to just recognize that's just a human reality so try to be mindful of you know, what is my weight bias? There are actually some cool tests that are free that if you go online, if you just kind of Google weight bias or fat bias, you know, you, you, there's, um, there's a particularly good bias test from Harvard that you can, you can, takes about 10 minutes to go through and answer the questions, but they give you some feedback that, that can help you identify, you know, biases that you maybe didn't even realize that you had toward thin people. Just, you know, whether it's through just kind of self-reflection or, taking an online test like that or 
you know, try to be aware of your own biases and check your language, right? How are you talking about kids um, who and, and adults who have higher weights? Are you talking about them like they're they're more slovenly or they're lazy or you know you're saying other demeaning things about them just purely because of their of their weight? If so, that that's something that's important to check, right? You know, if you're working in the schools, pay attention to comments that other kids might make to kids who um, are higher weight, you know, about their weight. Watch out for the bullying. It's, we know it's very common with all the weight stigma. Uh, just like in the clinic, pay attention to, if you're in the schools, the kind of photos that you have up on the walls, you know, and, you know, are your photos idealizing a certain body weight and a certain body shape? The guidelines are certainly right about when they say this is a complex problem. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a complex problem that there are lots of different factors. It's a societal issue. It's not only a medical issue. So I think that, you know, everyone needs to be doing these kinds of things to, to watch out, to make sure they're not contributing to the problem themselves. Well, I, I so appreciate you taking the time to um, take this complex issue and um, shine a light on how complex it is, but I think also really center it in human experience and particularly I think the compassion and person-centered approach that we can take um, with with the kids in our lives, whether again, we're parents, clinicians, caregivers, teachers, whoever we are, it seems like there's a lot that we can take away in terms of working with youth in a more inclusive and affirming way. So I so appreciate you taking the time to talk with us, Dr. Ryder, and hopefully we get a chance to talk with you again soon. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. It was fun. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode, and thank you to Dr. Jeff Ryder for his time. We would like to encourage you to, again, follow or like us wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, remember to give each other a little life support. Until next time.